Good morning. Um, welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Hojen. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, that was a church down in Tennessee that read the scriptures like that, and then right after, they just busted out into praise. Um, if you want to do it, not for next week, because it's Adam and Eve, and they're naked, and you don't want to depict that. If you want to do it for future and do something fancy here, we're more than open to the ideas. Uh, we would love to express our worship in new and creative ways. But <clears throat> Jason, are we, are we good? Yeah? Okay. So we're starting a new series through the book of Genesis, and we're going to go all the way to Easter with this series. We're going to go 13 weeks. Uh, we're going to have one guest speaker in the middle, and then hit Easter Sunday. It's going to take us 13 weeks to talk about the major components of this book. And um, we had, like, the staff was almost at the brink of arguing about what to call this series. And then we resorted to this. <laughs> we were about to call it Life Out of Death. We were about to call it Out of Darkness and Into Light. And one of us wanted to call it just in the beginning. You could try to figure out who said who. Who said what. But we just came and arriving at, at how important this book is to our faith. And I get the privilege of starting with the creation. So before we dive in, let me just pray for us. God in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done. And that, Lord, that is sufficient for us. That we can live for you, we can follow you, just based on those two broad aspects of being in relationship with you, God. So, Lord, we pray that this passage in Genesis 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 would bring life into our hearts. We pray that we would see you a little bit clearer, whether we've read this passage a hundred times, uh, because we tried to read the Bible in the beginning of the year and we failed in the middle. Whether we've never read this before, whether we have doubts about creation as a whole, or we believe you wholeheartedly, we pray that you would speak loud and clear today. We pray for the Spirit to move in our hearts, to, to point out Christ, even in this very first passage of the Bible. So God, we depend on you completely. We ask that you would um, use me in spite of my brokenness, that you would speak in a way that makes us obedient and faithful, not so that we fill our minds with knowledge. So God, as, as a result of this time, make us people more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Moses is written by... The book of Genesis, sorry, is written by the prophet Moses. There is no book of Moses. I apologize. <clears throat> He's writing to the Israelite people approximately 3,000 years ago as they've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt. That's the author. That's the audience. And why does he write this book? Moses writes this book to not just give a history, but to to share a message about who this God is who has sent Moses to Egypt to deliver his people, to, to form a nation, to provide a promised land. So that's why when we read Genesis, we can't treat it like we're going to figure out all the answers to the origins of the universe, 
uh, we're going to figure out whether it's certain scientific theories are right or wrong. If we read with that approach, we're already doubting what God's Word says. We're already doubting who God is. So for us, I'm not saying those questions are illegitimate or not appropriate. This is not the right setting. Because why Moses wrote Genesis is so that we see who God is. So given that, I'm going to dare to say this is the most important passage of the Bible to understand. If you understand Genesis 1 and chapter 2 very well, you will understand the rest of Scripture. And I hope that I can give some insight, some light into that so that your reading of Scripture becomes more alive. You understand Again, I'm going to say this over and over, who God is and what He has done. The entire Bible can be understood as a result of studying this passage just a little bit carefully. So, first, I want to share that creation reveals God's glorious character. This is why Moses writes Genesis 1 and 2. Creation reveals God's glorious character. Specifically, creation tells us about five things about his character. First is that God is eternal. God is eternal. In the beginning, God. If we stop at the first four words of the Bible, that there's like crazy theology there that you just need to stop. In the beginning, before anything was created, God was. He pre-existed everything. He has no beginning, no end. And that word for God that Moses is, Moses is using here is actually a plural noun in the Hebrew. It's Elohim. So if you literally translate it, it's gods. But Moses is obviously not a polytheist. He believes in one creator God, one true God that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Why does God want to be called Elohim, a plural noun? It's because... Moses was indicating that God, the one true God, is greater than all gods in the competing nations during his time. The Israelites just came out of Egypt where they worshipped the sun, the moon. They worshipped different animals as deities. And Pharaoh himself, the king, the ruler of Egypt, was considered a god. So when God calls himself through Moses, Elohim, a plural noun, he's saying, I am more majestic than all these things. And in creation, he actually will say he created the sun, moon, and animals, and all creatures. So God is indicating his eternal nature, his preeminence, his preexistence. Understanding that God is eternal should bring us to a place of great humility, that our experiences are understanding our, our perception of, of not just our life, but all of history should fall into his perspective, not the other way around. The first thing that God reveals to us is that God is eternal. Secondly, God is sovereign. Excuse me. God is sovereign. So in the beginning, God created. God created. There's a general formula for each day of creation. Uh, it doesn't apply to every day, but the, in general, this is what is happening. And God said, and in quotations, let there be, out of God's own mouth, let there be blank, 
Right after he says it, it was so. God called whatever he created a name, and then he dictated that it was good. He assessed it and declared it was good. And lastly, it was evening and morning, the end of the day. The most important thing is what's in the quotations. Let there be. For God to be sovereign, it means that He has power. And how does He display that power? Through His words. Through His words. There is no one in all of history, in the entire universe, who can make things happen just by saying it. For God to say, let there be light. And like the video, or unlike the video, the speaker had to point to it, somebody had to flick the, sh- uh, the switch on, somebody had to drop that little lantern down. But for God to say, let there be light, and it just appears, that is great sovereignty and power. One of my close friends, he has a, he has a son. He's, I-, I believe, just about to be three, and... Um, I want to take the credit of teaching him how to shoot a basketball. He loves to, to shoot it, and he's got great form. You know, he's got wrist action and everything. And he's at the age where he repeats everything that people say. So we're just joking around with him, and we t- taught him to say, money. <laughs> so every time he shoots it, he's not even looking at it. He's like, money. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then we taught him buckets, like just throwing it up there. But even that concept, because I've seen grown-up people do this on the court too. They're, they're saying money, buckets, because they think their, their shot is going to go into the rim, into the hoop. But that's not always the case. If they were sovereign, if they were powerful, they would just have to say money and throw it up backwards and it would go in. But this is, this is the God that we believe in. That's a silly example. But God creates the universe out of nothing. And the theological phrase is ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of nil. Last year, um, before I turned 30, I really wanted to do something that would signify the first 30 years of my life. So I created, I made a table. (laughs) I had a lot of, a long list of things I wanted to do, but I, I wanted to make furniture that I could keep for the rest of my life. And for the longest time, I would look at that thing and I'll be really proud. And it's kind of hard to tell, but the legs are made out of pipes that I had to, like, I had to draw, draw diagrams and make sure it was the right length and, and I had to buy the right screws, the right type of wood. And I was real proud of it. And obviously, I didn't put the candles there. I didn't decorate that, but I was real proud of it. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I just put the pieces together. It was Home Depot that, that brought it over to wherever it was, that treated the wood so that it can be used. And even before that, there was probably a tree farmer that grew a pine tree from which this came from. There was somebody who smelted the, the metal and formed it into pipes. And even beyond that, like who the heck designed a tree who created metal, I just put the pieces together. In, in the Hebrew, create is the, the verb bara, and it's only used of God, where God is the subject. And it's used in those various verses, even in this passage that we're looking at, 
verse 1, 21, 27, and then chapter 2, verse 3. But one of the most just convicting parts about this word is that it's actually used in non-new things. It's used when King David is praying this prayer, and he just committed adultery and murder, and he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan. And in David's repentance, he prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Bara in me a clean heart. When God creates, it's definitely a new thing. But it doesn't, when David prayed this, he didn't mean, God, take, like, like, suck it out, put a brand new one in me. It's, he's saying, God, make this heart new. Restore it. Redeem it. Save me from the sins I committed. Understanding God is sovereign should bring us to a place of complete dependence. Complete dependence. The, the mighty God who just needs to speak the word in order to create the universe. The God who in the same way wants to save David's soul, make it new. God reveals to us his mighty power. God is eternal, God is sovereign, and thirdly, God is good. All that God creates is good. All that God creates is good. In each of these six verses, he dictates that it's good. All the first six days. Inherently, everything in this world was created for good. God deemed it as good. And obviously, we experience the brokenness of it. But when God created it, it was good. Uh, I don't know how many of you have come across this, but it might have been on BuzzFeed, and I share too much from BuzzFeed. Maybe I'm too, like, on it a little too much. But there's this, I think he's Russian. I, I can't even pronounce his last name. There's three consonants that don't belong together. Um, I'll just call him Alexei. But what he did, he took his digital camera, he taped the heck out of it with a lens that wasn't made to fit. It was a macro lens. And what he did was, he took close-up pictures of snowflakes. Like, that looks like it should be in, like, outer space, right? It should be on, like, an episode of Star Trek. That looks like a computer chip. I was just looking at this and just so amazed. Like, are you serious? I think if I were God, I would just be like, drop the mic and and leave the room. Like, come on now. Like, are are you kidding me? And this is the best. This is ice dust. They're not full snowflakes. This is just ice dust. I I think about like when you get an ice tray of ice cubes and you get that little like powder. That's what it looks like. That's what God created. And that's just one molecule, H2O. To think about what God is doing in our bodies, in this world. God created it for, a good, for good purposes. And Pastor Dan complained about the weather. But to think that even just about a week ago, we got bombarded here with snow. And we see it as a curse when God is sending these little presents. I know it doesn't feel like it when you're shoveling. But really, 
God is sending you beautiful things and you're just like, like, biting your tongue, trying not to swear, concerned about what an inconvenience it is to you. But if you were to pause and think that there's probably billions, trillions of these little things accessible to you so that God could show you who He is, I think you would see it a little differently. And on top of that, the past 24 hours, it was like 55 degrees. On social media, all of my friends were complaining like crazy about the cold. I think one person was thankful for the warmth. Let's treat what God gives to us as good rather than being the ones that dictate it. God was the one who said it was good when He created every single thing. And the fact, just going back, that last reference, He creates everything. He creates humanity, Adam and Eve, and He says it was very good, exceedingly pleasing to Him. That that phrase, very good, abundantly good, exceedingly pleasing. God's creation exists to please God abundantly. For Him to just stop and just be, just to revel in it. Understanding that God is good should bring us to a place of gratitude. One of the sermons that changed my life in college <clears throat> is titled, Do You Really Believe That God Is Good? Do you really believe that God is good? And that's, you're just thinking, oh yeah, God is good. But to think in every situation in your life, every hurt that you might be feeling, every thing that you're wrestling with, do you really believe that God is good? Because the way you live will show whether you believe it or not. Is it your job situation? Is it relationships? Is it money? Do you really believe that God is good? That every good and perfect gift, it says in James, comes from the Father of lights. God's character does not change. He's eternal, sovereign, and good. Fourthly, God is intentional. God is intentional. God actually creates the heavens and the earth, the universe, with Great design. In Genesis 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void. So, formless and void. No shape and nothing in it. And then what happens after this verse? The Spirit is hovering, almost as if the Spirit is preparing that place. And this is a chart that uh, some of... Um, yeah, some of the folks that went to Gordon-Conwell and took you know, certain classes are probably familiar with. But God creates the universe to address that issue of being formless and void. Days 1, 2, and 3, He makes it some sort of shape. He makes it a habitat. Days 4, 5, 6, He makes the inhabitants, the, the things that are to dwell in the the habitats created in the first three days. And not only that, he connects the days and the the habitats with the inhabitants. 
Day one, he creates light. And what does he do in day four? He creates the sun, moon, and stars to dwell and have dominion in that place. In day two, he creates the expanse, heaven and the waters. So what does he create in day five? It's creatures of the air, creatures of the water. Day six, he creates the land and the vegetation in the land. Day, day three, excuse me. And day six, he creates the land animals, the insects, and lastly, human beings. There's some commentators that say that this act of creation is God revealing, almost previewing how he's, he, he was going to save the world, how he was going to save Israel. The universe that was formless and void, he gives it shape and fills it. The Israelites that had no... Actually, they weren't even considered a nation when they were in Egypt. They were just called the Hebrew people. And Pharaoh saw them as a nuisance. And they were just spreading like, like weeds. They didn't have a nation for themselves. So when God saves the, the Hebrews from Egypt, He forms a nation. And what does He do? He provides a habitat, the promised land, for them to fill it, to, to have dominion over it. And what about us? Formless and void dead and empty. Any of us that could profess faith in Jesus Christ prior to that experience, we were completely dead, completely empty. And what does he do? He, he doesn't... Believing in Jesus doesn't, doesn't just bring us to a place of neutrality. Like, okay, now all the sins are forgiven. Like, figure it out. What does he do? God calls us to his mission, to his kingdom to His purposes. God is very intentional. And then on the seventh day, there is no habitat or inhabitant in the seventh day. Because God, again, like the first point I mentioned, He's eternal. He's before all things. So what does God do? He rests. In chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the day, the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. Like, and in verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I don't know if you see this, but verse 2 and verse 3 have a lot of redundancies. So if you just break it up into phrases, and I tried to pair them up with the, the letters in the bracket, God is trying to tell us something. On the seventh day, is mentioned three times. God finished His work that He had done. Mentioned three times. He rested twice. And then, I don't know if you see that letter D, He made it holy. For us, the, the idea of Sabbath is just like resting and vegging out and doing nothing, thinking about nothing, like taking a break from work, being left alone. But Sabbath is actually, it's more literally translated as ceasing, stopping. If we believe that God is eternal, sovereign and good, then He, he doesn't get tired, like, oh, six days. Whew! Like, I'm good, I need to like relax for a little bit. 
No, he ceases. And he makes it holy. He pauses to look at his creation. The creation he just declared as very good. And he lets it please him. For us to take Sabbath is to recognize that we are part of that creation. For us to cease, to stop, and to pause. And not lose sight that we are the created ones living for the purposes of pleasing the Creator. And last week, John Murray came. If you didn't listen to the message, it was a good message about margins. A guest speaker came and just shared with us how we need to give space for God to speak to us, to interrupt us. And if we're not taking regular Sabbaths, to stop and to pause and to reflect on who God is, what He has done, and who we are in light of that. We get lost in the way we live our lives. I will almost guarantee it. We'll start living for ourselves or for things that aren't meant to be our ultimate goal. But even at this very moment, I'm praying that you are all Sabbathing, ceasing right now, and just allowing God to revel in, in your love for Him and the fact that He wants a relationship with you. Another way we see that God is intentional is in the fact that He creates human beings with a special, special purpose. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God says this, and then in verse 27, it becomes poetic again, and there's repetition again. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For the first time, he speaks directly to creation and has a relationship with them. He doesn't do that until this point. He talks to the male and female and gives them a purpose, a calling. The first is to be fruitful and to multiply part of the creative act of God. And parents, a lot of you aren't here. If you listen to the podcast, um, hopefully you are encouraged that in raising your child right now, you are actually participating in the similar act that God is doing right here in Genesis 1. That God created us in His image and for you parents, you moms and dads, to raise up your children in the image that God has always wanted for your son, your daughter. What you're doing is a privilege and an honor. And if there's any ways for the rest of the church to support you all in raising your children, please let us know. We want to make sure every person here is growing up to become the image that God has always wanted. Be fruitful and multiply. What else does God tell us tell humanity to do? He says to have dominion over creation. Have dominion over creation. And to a degree, it's like being God. God authenticates the rulership for us. He says, you know what? You're made in my image. What you're going to do in the midst of creation, in representing me, is to have dominion 
over the rest of creation. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. And then thirdly, which Pastor Dan will talk a lot more about next week, is a prohibition to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To not eat of it. Human beings are created in relationship with God. Why does he give that prohibition? To provide space for them to obey. For them to trust that God is good. And that he would only say, don't do this, only because it's dangerous and not good for them. If God is eternal, sovereign, good, and intentional, to trust in those things and be okay with that prohibition. Understanding God is intentional should bring us to a place of obedience. We have a design. We have a calling to fulfill. And to live in a way that ignores that design, that call, is sin, which Pastor Dan will talk about. (laughs) God is eternal, sovereign, good, intentional. And lastly, God is gracious. God is gracious. God acts on his own volition in this entire process. Everything that I've just said, God is eternal, sovereign, good, intentional, was true whether or not he created the universe. That was his character before, that was his character after, that's his character now. But what does he do? He creates the universe in order to reveal himself to make it known who exactly he is, what type of person he is. In James chapter 1, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of creatures. Being a first fruit is like the prized possession. It's being the best. So when first fruit of creatures means the chosen creature to represent him, the image of God that was created in male and female. Of his own will, of God's own will, he did it out of grace, out of love for us, out of his desire to reveal himself as glorious. And if indeed creation is a preview of the way that God is going to save his people again and again and again, then for us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of creation, that the cross of Christ is the apex of all that God has done, that Jesus himself is eternal, sovereign, good, intentional, and gracious. The word that creates the universe in Genesis 1 being the same word that says, I am the the way, the truth, and the life in the New Testament. This is a quote that I read as I was preparing We learn from the creation account that one, that God is a redeeming God who changes darkness into light, death to life, 
chaos to blessing. And number two, that God is absolutely sovereign over all life and all pagan ideas that would contend for our allegiance. And three, that God works by His powerful word to create, to redeem, and to sanctify. Obedience to His powerful word, whether either in the written word or the living word, our Savior will transform believers into His glorious image. Through the act of creation, we see God's glorious character. His, the fact that he's, he's eternal, sovereign, good, intentional, and gracious. So what does that mean for us today? Just one application I will give to you is to remind yourself somehow of this character. Maybe it's just taking one part of that. His eternal nature, his gracious nature, his good nature, and apply it to something in your life that is telling you that he's not that thing. Maybe for some of you it's to take a Sabbath, a legit one, not just sleeping until, like, without an alarm. That, That feels like Sabbath to us. But to cease, to stop, to think about who we are in light of who God is, to think about what he has done in our lives, not just in creation, but also in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no one like him, no one like our God, who, who is able to take darkness and create light into it, to take dead and inanimate things and make them into breathing and alive things, taking empty things and filling them, taking places that are unlivable and making them livable. That's the the God we believe in, the redeeming God, the creator God. And his character needs to mark every day of our lives. The way we make decisions, the way we view situations, the way we look at other people and treat them. God being eternal, Sovereign, good, intentional, and gracious means that we need to be humble, dependent, grateful, obedient, and in love with our God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that just in the first two, not even two, it's one chapter, three verses, that you reveal your character to us. And it's a glorious character. It's an unchanging character. You are a good God. You are a powerful God. You are eternal God. You are intentional. And you are gracious. We ask that, that those truths would be not just going in one ear and out the other, but they would be planted into hearts, even at this very moment. That even if that, tr- those truths aren't realized now, that uh, as they hear the word being preached, that it will be sown into fertile soil of, of, of our hearts. And that in the necessary time, we will come to full realization of who you are, God. And we're going to spend the rest of eternity doing that. And we thank you that you have no bounds, that we will never run you dry. You will always give us life. You will always give us light. 
And you will always bless us, God. So forgive us of the ways that we fail to see you and fail to trust you. Won't you prove yourself in the situations where we're being told by ourselves, by the, by the enemy, by the world, that you are not eternal, sovereign, good, intentional, and gracious. That we would speak truth into those areas of our lives. Make us into unshakable people, so proud of following you. So God, even today, as we continue our worship, may it be about you and you alone, less about us. So we thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.